Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Where we live on Connecticut Public Radio, I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. One month ago, Dr. Miguel Cardona literally stepped onto a national stage alongside President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris when they introduced him as the nominee for U.S. Education Secretary. Dr. Cardona, as Connecticut's Education Commissioner, has urged local schools to remain open since the school year began, despite the pandemic. If confirmed, Cardona will lead efforts to reopen a majority of schools nationwide, a goal of the president in his first 100 days in office. Today, where we live, we talk with Dr. Cardona. He's the son of Puerto Rican parents, and he began school speaking only Spanish. He would go on to become an educator, first as a fourth grade teacher, and later as a school principal and assistant superintendent. Commissioner Miguel Cardona, welcome back to where we live. Thank you, Lucy. Nice to be here with you. First, congratulations on your nomination by President Biden to serve as, as U.S. Education Secretary. I have to ask, when did you first get the call from the transition team that you were in being considered? Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, about a month and a half ago, I received uh, an email asking if it's something that I would consider. And uh, a subsequent call after that uh, uh, led to a vetting process and, and uh, you know, an interview process that was pretty extensive. So I, I I'd say, well, a month ago I was on the stage, as you said, maybe three, four weeks before that, maybe four weeks before that. And how did you react when you got that call? I was, I was elated. I was, uh, you know, extremely humbled just to be asked, you know, there's such a great opportunity for our country now to really not just break through and get out of this pandemic, but also really uh, rethink how we, we serve our students best. And um, we've learned a lot from this pandemic and it's a great opportunity in our country to, to really reimagine education. We know that uh, President Biden, as I mentioned, wants to see a majority of public school students back in class uh, nationwide in his first 100 days. How will this be feasible, Dr. Cardona? I mean, this is something that you have been a, a firm advocate of uh, in our state in Connecticut, but now we're talking about uh, different states that are very different from Connecticut. Right. So, you know, the goal of uh, safely reopening schools, is, I think everyone shares that. It's how we do that that really matters most. And, you know, in Connecticut, we've been very actively working with our uh, educational stakeholders and different partners to, to see how to best do that uh, through open communication, making sure we're very clear on mitigation strategies. Ultimately, we can only safely reopen our schools when we are able to uh, reduce spread and contain the virus. Uh, I think that's critically important that we don't leave that out of the conversation, that schools can open if we're able to do that successfully. Um, so at the national level, you know, we, we recognize that while local states and, and districts know their communities best, 
clear guidance around that and, and funding to support the mitigation strategies that we know are required is going to be part of the national strategy. It has to be part of the national strategy. So, so we can support our educators and support our, our states who are trying to do the best for their students. What have you learned about uh, reopening schools in Connecticut that you think you can take to the national level? I know there was a lot of discussion uh, once school began about the metrics here in Connecticut and uh, when uh, we saw community spread reaching um, uh, a certain um, point, uh, then we would think about uh, maybe keeping schools on a hybrid or remote. But we know that even in Connecticut, Dr. Cardona, uh, the, the, the virus and cases have grown, and yet there's still a push to keep kids in school. Right. So to, to answer your question, what, what, I've, what have I learned and what, you know, how can we take that to the national level? What I learned is that we need to have a very close partnership with our health department. Um, our health department are experts in the uh, strategies on reducing spread, and they are, with their epidemiologist team, being informed and learning about COVID-19, the transmission of it, how it can spread, how it doesn't spread, uh, what strategies you should take. So for us as a school system, as a school uh you know, educational uh, advocates that we are, we have to make sure that we're working very closely with them, that we're aligning our policy around uh, the strategies that they recommend. So at the national level, that's critically important that we work with CDC, that we work with Health and Human Services to make sure that the decisions that we're being, that are being made around schools are in line with what we know uh, to protect people. Uh, so th that partnership matters. I also know that what we learned in, in Connecticut and, and what we can take nationally is that educators need a seat at the table to have conversations about what they're seeing, uh, how they're experiencing it, and how we can work uh, collaboratively to make sure that we're, we're tight on messaging around those mitigation strategies that are prerequisites to opening schools. How would that work exactly? Because under the Trump administration and your predecessor, Secretary DeVos, uh, the schools and districts and states were looking to the CDC for guidance, but it was still such a patchwork system, Dr. Cardona. Right. I'm really pleased that uh, President Biden and uh, Vice President Harris uh, are really putting this uh, as a priority to have a national uh, plan. They have a COVID team and we're discussing it with the, uh, the education COVID team is discussing with the White House COVID team to make sure that there's a consistency in messaging, to make sure that there's one message, one plan. Uh, and I think you, what American people are going to see is that the, the national strategy is going to be driving a lot of the efforts at the local level. When we think about national strategy, obviously additional money from the federal government could help with safety measures. But where do you stand on the vaccination of all teachers, Dr. Cardona? We're seeing even in our state, in Connecticut, right now we're in phase 1B, which it's recommended that only residents over the age of 75 get vaccinated. But yet we've been asking teachers to be in class since the start of this school year. Should they be a bigger priority in this vaccination distribution plan? Right. I'm pleased to see that vaccinations and, and not just vaccinations, but increased testing, uh, COVID testing is, is something that is part of the plan also uh, at a federal level. And that priorities are being placed on vaccination for educators and testing. So I'm pleased to see that. And, and I know from my experience in Connecticut, we, we work really hard to try to make uh, 
increased access to testing for educators, something that uh, we can share with them. Now with the addition of uh, vaccines and prioritizing educators in vaccination process, I think we can uh, move forward with safely reopening our schools. But in terms of when we think about where teachers should be on the list of vaccinations, Dr. Cardona, should they be getting their doses before other people in our population, be it, be it more of a priority? Well, you know, at this point, I think what we need to recognize is the important role that educators play in uh, in our country and making sure that we're prioritizing vaccinations for educators so that they can continue their job. I think that that's something that um, a message that's been loud and clear from from the president, but also from educators who are going in daily and and supporting our learners. In Connecticut, most of our population is taking uh, seriously this mask mandate, and uh, but that's not the case in all states. So, how would you navigate that, Commissioner? You know, it's really to support states who are working to develop policies in their in their states to uh, safely reopen schools. What we do know is in Connecticut, it, it, is that students and staff members wearing masks helps prevent spread in schools. And that's probably the best strategy to uh, prevent spread in schools. And because we were able to, from the beginning, use that mitigation strategy, we were able to have such a high percentage of our students uh, have the option to attend in-person learning. And for, for many students in Connecticut, they have been learning in the schoolhouse since August because of those strategies. So being very clear uh, on which strategies work and, and communicating that openly uh, to, to states across the country is something that I, I think is, is important. Do you think President Biden's goal of seeing most schools reopened in the first 100 days is too optimistic uh, when we think again about uh, how states have a different community spread and getting everyone on the same page? No, I think it's, it's strong leadership to say that we need to bring our students safely back into schools and we need to do what we have to do. And the president committed uh, to supporting uh, funding of $135 billion to, to help make that happen by providing PPEs, by providing, uh, you know, better vaccination rollout plan, uh, testing plan. I, I think it makes sense. It, it's advocacy at the highest level for children. And we know children learn better at, in, the, in the schoolhouse. And we, we have a responsibility to do everything we can to safely provide an environment for them to learn. Uh, what while also providing the supports that are needed to make those environments safe. In this process, uh, Dr. Cardona, where does a data collection stand? I understand that the federal government doesn't have data on the number of schools operating uh, right now versus those that are remote learning. And so there seems to be a lot of knowledge that still needs to be gained uh, before trying to get all schools to reopen uh, within a certain amount of time. Right. You know, in Connecticut, we used data to drive our decisions early on. I think it was in October when we set up a system to identify student attendance and student engagement. We wanted to see uh, where we could best provide resources and support to try to uh, engage students that we've uh, struggled to engage as educators. Uh, so the data process is critically important uh, to, to not only target our efforts toward those neediest students and, and communities, but also to get a better sense of where we are as a nation in terms of uh, reopening our schools. 
Is it possible that we could see some states that have still very high numbers of COVID cases reopening uh, at a different pace uh, than that you'd like? You know, again, uh, our role at the federal government is to support the states and provide some guidance and direction and funding where it could be used to help lead, to, to safely reopen schools and help them in their efforts to do that. Uh, our goal is really to support states and their ability to do, do that work. And, and however we can help them would be uh, a priority for us. You're hearing Dr. Miguel Cardona. He's Connecticut's Education Commissioner and President Biden's nominee for U.S. Education Secretary. Uh, when we talk about uh, your background, uh, there's a lot of pride in our state. You're a longtime educator, again, starting uh, in elementary school as an elementary school teacher. And the president has pointed to your background as an educator, very different from uh, Secretary DeVos, uh, former Secretary DeVos, as a reason why uh, he wanted you in this job. But how do you respond to some teachers, Dr. Cardona, who say you may know what it's like to be a teacher and a principal, but you don't know what it's like to teach in the classroom in a pandemic, understanding the challenges of both balancing students in class with students at home, not to mention the fears of getting sick? Right. No, I, I totally respect what our educators have been able to do over these last 10 months. And in my role as commissioner of education in Connecticut, I have had countless opportunities to, to really engage with teachers. Um, I, I schedule meetings regularly uh, to have conversations about the different perspectives, the challenges, the frustrations, uh, so we can be best equipped to support them. Um, I, I'm a father, you know, I, my children attend school and, and I have conversations with teachers there. Uh, my wife uh, also works in, in middle school. So I see the, the challenges that they're facing. And, you know, some of the challenges that not only uh, health and safety, which is the primary, uh, you know, we want to make sure people are safe, but also the challenges of having to teach online as well as in person and, and doing both of those tasks. That That is something that you know, it started off as a, uh, you know, a quick fix uh, because there were students that were remote and students that were in person, but it's become a long-term thing. So we have to really revisit that as well. Um, there are a lot of things that teachers are doing now that they never had to do. And, you know, I acknowledge that. I, I understand the challenges that there are there. And um, I think the message here is that we want to provide support and we want to provide guidance so that uh, we learn the best practices and make sure that we're, uh, giving the teachers the support that they need and the resources that they need to, to be successful, as well as the school principals and the district leaders who've been working tirelessly over the last 10 months to provide in-person learning, in -person learning opportunities for their learners. Speaking of learning, there's a lot of attention on what this pandemic will mean with learning loss and how it will affect an entire generation, how learning loss is not evenly spread among all students. There'll be a bigger impact on low income and students of color. So how will you address this learning gap and this these growing disparities, Dr. Cardona, that we've seen in the pandemic, especially among students of color? So we know, Lucy, that student outcomes have varied, uh, unfortunately, based on uh, whether it's geographic, race, or, or you know, um, different other, other different factors. So th these achievement gaps or uh, opportunity gaps have, have been with us for, for many, many years. And the pandemic has only exacerbated the gaps. We know that um, 
for far too long, uh, our black and brown students haven't achieved at the same level as their white counterparts. And this is prior to the pandemic. This has been a major issue in our country and one that I look forward to tackling if, if I'm fortunate enough to be uh, confirmed by the Senate. So this pandemic just made it worse. And it's really a responsibility to identify what those gaps are, how they've been exacerbated, and how we can better utilize the resources to target them and, and help support our learners in greatest need. With that said, I also want to acknowledge the level of resilience that our students have gained. Um, you know, there are gaps in their learning or there has there have been a, a pretty significant disruptions in their learning, but our students have shown a level of resilience that um, have, has been extremely impressive and their ability to adapt has been ex extremely impressive. And I know the, the resiliency and the, the level of adaptivity will serve them well in the future. We just have to make sure we're putting our resources where the greatest needs are and providing support to our learners so that they can um, recover like our nation will recover. If confirmed as education secretary, would you consider a national summer school, Dr. Cardona? You know, I really, again, our federal federal role is to support our states and to make sure that we're providing guidance and um, support where they need it. Obviously, we, we need to learn from best practices as well. I think one of the roles that we can have uh, at the federal level is to share best practices throughout our country, remove those silos and remove those barriers of, of innovation uh, communication, right? Um, there are strategies that are happening that are being planned right now to extend learning, to provide summer options, to provide different uh, ways for students to access content, but also that social emotional support that they need. I think sometimes we focus on the academic. We know our learners need uh, to be engaged in community. So there are many great ideas being uh, thrown out there now about how to engage students over the summer and, and building that sense of community. What I would say is, it's our role to really communicate how funding and, and resources could be used to support some of these programs throughout our country. And, and that way we can learn from one another and really grow together. What about students with disabilities? Uh, we've heard from advocates and parents in our state uh, that some of these students, they can't learn effectively uh, in the remote setting. So what can the U.S. Department of Education do to compel districts to make sure that these students have access to the education they're entitled to? Yes, uh, we know students with disabilities have uh, had significant impact uh, due to COVID and the disruption in learning. And it, it probably more difficult for many of these students to engage in uh, fully remote learning if they previous to the pandemic had uh, support that, that required face-to-face -face interaction or uh, engagement in physical activities uh, to help with their uh, OT or PT skills. So we know that these are students that we have to focus our energy on, making sure that we're giving them pathways to um, accelerate what was lost. Um, and I think when we talk about subgroups of students that need uh, focused attention and, and additional resources, it, it really is students with disabilities who, who, in my mind, really need to be prioritized. They have lost more probably because they depend more on the in-person learning. I've experienced that. I, I, I've had conversations with families in Connecticut 
whose children um, who may be on the autism spectrum have not benefited from remote learning as other students who um, can log on and access their learning. And I think states are well aware of this, districts are well aware of this. It's critically important that as we think about how we're gonna recover as a country, we prioritize the needs of our students with disabilities. Are there penalties that should be pursued against districts that, that are not making that a priority, Dr. Cardona? You know, I, I don't know that districts would plan not to prioritize our students with uh, disabilities. And there are processes set up under IDEA where families can uh, challenge a district if uh, the perception is that they're not meeting the needs of their learners. You know, the, the bottom line is we know our students with disabilities are going to require more support, and we should plan that way. So when you say that there are remedies for families so they can file civil complaints against school districts? There are due process, uh, processes um, that can be taken if, if a student doesn't, um, a mediation process, if a student doesn't get the support that they need. Well, part of your uh, role, again, if confirmed as Secretary of Education, would not just be public schools, which is your wheelhouse, but also overseeing higher education, Dr. Cardona. And when we talk about learning loss, what role should colleges and universities play to address this for these incoming students uh, where we're going to see this again hitting multiple generations? Right. You know, higher education, um, they've, they've been a impacted significantly as well. And in terms of learning loss and, and allowing our, our students to get back on track, we're, we're losing far too many students in our higher education due to the pandemic. So efforts to re-engage these students and, and give them an opportunity to get back on, um, keeping in mind that many of these students have also faced personal loss, whether it's loved ones or job loss. So we wanna make sure that we're creating an environment where uh, higher education access is, is still available and that we're not losing students who uh, might have been uh, more impacted by, by the losses of COVID-19 and, and the pandemic. Besides uh, losing loved ones and, and people close to them, we know that people have lost work and have lost pay, Dr. Cardona. President Biden has extended a freeze of federal student loan payments through September, but advocates say that's not enough. They want to see loan forgiveness. Do you think some portion of student debt should be forgiven? How would you work with Congress on this? Yes, the, uh, the president did put forward a plan that would need Congress's support to provide some relief for college students. And I, I'm totally in support of that. I recognize that, uh, you know, college is a pathway to, to continued success. And we have to make sure that our students still have access to it and that they're supported in this process. So I, I would work with our, our, our senators and our Congress folks to, to support a, a plan that provides some relief for our, our students in higher education. Um, and, you know, again, when we talk about data, we have to assess the damage that it's, it's causing on these groups of students and make sure that we're targeting the support to those students that need it the most. Students who might have looked at college as an opportunity and now over the last 10 months thought that because of the pandemic, they can no longer pursue that. So those are the students that we want to re-engage and provide support for to make sure that they have the access to, to the American dream that, uh, you know, that, that we all have. Mm -hmm. 
so you'd be willing to work with Congress. Uh, is this something that you feel is a priority for you and in, in helping so many Americans? What is it, like 45 million Americans who hold um, $1.5 trillion of student loan debt, Dr. Cardona? It would be a priority for me. It would be an area of focus that early on we'd have to really make sure that we're coming up with clear uh, support plans and, and, and strategies to assist uh, the students in higher education. While I do have a K-12, pre-K-12 background, and, and that's an area of passion for me, I recognize as a, as a first-generation college student myself, the importance of, of higher education and, and the importance of making it accessible. You know, and, and as I said, you know, part of this is recovering for the pandemic. But part of this is really reimagining higher education as well and taking advantage of our uh, community colleges, seizing the potential that they have to make sure that it's accessible to more students and uh, that, you know, even beyond the pandemic, we provide better opportunities for our learners to go on to college and or different career pathways. I'm glad you brought up community college. Uh, we know uh, here in the state of Connecticut that uh, enrollment is down, and that's something that's being seen across the country. Community colleges can often be a way uh, to help the economy as well in terms of, of helping people um, receive certain degrees and get into the workforce. So how would you work uh, to help the community college systems nationwide, Dr. Cardona? Right. So, you know, Lucy, we know that uh, education is really the best economic driver not only in our state of Connecticut, but also across the country. And making college accessible to more students earlier is, is part of the goal. I mean, as Commissioner of Education, we work really hard to try to create uh, clear pathways to career and college through dual enrollment programs in our high schools, or even just looking at our high schools differently and saying in our middle schools, saying, here are some pathways to jobs that exist today and tomorrow. And, and here are some classes you can take that can lead to an associate's degree a little earlier and connecting our schools that way. I think we have to remove, I talked about blurring the lines a little bit before, we have to blur the lines between our, our pre-K-12 system and our higher education system and, and make them more seamless. Uh, from the perspective of the, of the consumer of education, it has to be clearer, it has to be a, a, an easier reach. So community college play that role and you know, if, if fortunate to serve as Secretary of Education, if confirmed, community colleges will have to play a bigger role in, in this access to higher education for, for many of our learners. Um, and that's, that's, that's going to be a priority for me as well. But the connection between the community colleges and the four-year colleges also has to be made tighter so that uh, students who do take courses in a community college are able to use those co courses and transfer the credits to the four-year colleges to continue their learning. Uh, these are all priorities for me and, and, and things that I know that there are many across the country that have uh, either exemplars on how that could work or great ideas on how that could work. And I look forward to engaging those folks to really come up with some very clear strategies very soon uh, because our students are waiting and, and we, have to, we have to act with a level of urgency that we've never had. President Biden on his campaign trail talked about supporting a no cost a community college. Uh, how would you prioritize that? Is that something you support? I would support that 100 I, percent. I, as I said earlier, our community colleges are the gems that sometimes are not looked at as uh, the, 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 the gems that they are. We really have to make it more accessible, not only for our pre-K-12 system connection, but also there are a lot of adults in our communities that would welcome an opportunity to engage in um, higher learning through our community colleges or can, uh, you know, be, think about career advancement and 
all they need is that that first step into into the community college or, or access to it in a way that uh, gives them the ability to continue their education and their earning potential. Politics is very different in D.C. compared to a small state like Connecticut. What do you think will be your biggest challenge if you're confirmed, Dr. Cardona? You know, there, there, there's so much to learn. However, Lucy, what's gotten me this far is my passion to keep students at the center. Yes, I, uh, the, 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 the political landscape is much greater than it is in, in Connecticut. However, uh, those values that I have are true no matter where we are. We're going we're gonna to make decisions based on what's best for students. We're going to work with different stakeholders and different people with different perspectives. You know, I have to make sure I'm taking into account the different perspectives that are out there. Another value is learning from uh, experts that have had experience in different areas and bringing those people into the room, bringing them around the table. So while the politics are different, the strategy of bringing in different perspectives, listening and making sure that students are at the center of every decision that we make is something that's not gonna change. I look forward to the challenges. I, I recognize that there are many challenges, but it's, it's also about making sure we're assembling a team of people that have diverse perspectives and diverse experiences and ensuring that um, we're following the vision of the president to uh, really reimagine public education and, and make sure that we're providing more opportunities for our students. There's a lot of work to be done and I'm excited uh, to be in a position where I, I can influence some of that work. Uh, last question. You couldn't be more different from former Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos. Uh, you are a strong advocate for public schools. Uh, she advocated for school choice alternatives. And so I'm wondering, uh, you know, how you're going to take on uh, this new role in a pandemic, but also learning uh, about a new department and hoping, hoping to also help morale in a department that has also uh, lost uh, positions under Secretary DeVos. Right. You know, I hear great things about the career staff at the agency, and I look forward to meeting them if confirmed and uh, really tapping into their expertise and their experience. And and I know there's a lot of uh, great talent there. And I also look forward to uh, reengaging partners who are ready to roll up their sleeves and, and provide perspectives and people that don't always agree on the same things. You know, I think when we can have honest conversation about what's best for kids and, and we did we listen to different perspectives, I, I know that at the end of the day, the best outcomes are going to be what we deliver. So that's the game plan moving forward and engaging our career staff at the agency who uh, have great experience and understand the landscape, not only the political landscape, but also the landscape across the country. You're hearing Dr. Miguel Cardona. He's Connecticut's Education Commissioner and also President Biden's nominee for U.S. Education Secretary. The U.S. Senate must still confirm his nomination. Dr. Cardona, thank you for speaking with us. Any last words for our Connecticut residents? Well, for the Connecticut residents, uh, you know, their tremendous resilience and uh, hard work over these last 10 months have put Connecticut in a position where we're able to safely reopen our schools and we're able to re-engage in, in our economy and, and open up our businesses. Continue the fight. You're doing a great job. And um, I appreciate all the support. I look forward to uh, probably representing the Nutmaker State uh, if confirmed uh, as Secretary of Education. Well, Dr. Cardona, we hope you come back on the show as well uh, uh, once you are confirmed. We thank you for your time today. Thank you, Lucy.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up after the break, we're going to hear from the Washington Post, Daniel Douglas Gabriel, about the Education Department and the work before Dr. Cardona, if he's confirmed. You can join us too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel broadcasting remotely. We just heard from Connecticut Education Commissioner Dr. Miguel Cardona in the first long-form interview he's given since being nominated by President Biden to serve as U.S. Education Secretary. Again, his uh, nomination must still be confirmed by the U.S. Senate. Now, for more perspective on the Education Department that he'll lead, if confirmed, joining us now on Zoom is Daniel Douglas Gabriel, reporter for The Washington Post. Danielle, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I wanted you to respond to what you heard from Dr. Cardona, especially when we think about a higher education in our country. I think Dr. Cardona uh, gives a very promising uh, agenda, one that uh, many folks have waited and hoped to see and coming from the federal government in terms of tuition-free higher education, public higher education, also supporting some form of student debt forgiveness through Congress. So it is refreshing for folks who were very disappointed uh, by the DeVos administration's uh, efforts to dismantle public education in all forms, as well as just kind of the very divisive rhetoric that her tenure kind of produced around all forms of public higher education, all forms of public education. So it, it'll it be a, a sea change to have someone who seems to support uh, and is willing to, to uh, forward policies that also support the uh, closing gaps in equity, uh, asserting that public education in all forms is a priority. I understand under Secretary DeVos, uh, no legislative victories uh, when she ran the U.S. Education Department. So what kind of uh, challenge will Dr. Cardona have working with Congress on some of these priorities? I mean, certainly it's not going to be easy to get uh the president's agenda passed through Congress. There is a very slim majority in in the in both chambers, so it's not quite what he would hope to have. But certainly, there is a lot more um, support for the sorts of kind of bold ideas to address issues of equity than there was support for the ideas of shrinking the education department and shrinking the federal role in uh, supporting education from K twelve through higher education. You've covered higher education for years. Uh, Talk broadly about the legacy of the DeVos administration uh, and how uh, this will also impact the work ahead for Dr. Cardona. Uh, We saw um, efforts by her as, uh, you know, helping for-profit colleges, for one, um, also taking away protections of affirmative action and looking at uh, how colleges and universities handle sexual assault allegations. There's a lot uh, that she... Uh, has put forth that will also be part of Dr. Cardona's plate if he's confirmed. Certainly. And a lot of her policies was a matter of really dismantling what the Obama administration had sought 
uh, as its legacy within higher education, ha having to hold institutions, spe specifically for-profit colleges that, um, you know, had engaged in some predatory behavior, not all, but certainly some of the worst closures we saw uh, in terms of leaving students without, uh, without a quality education and lots of debt had come from the for-profit sector in ways that uh, the department under Obama were, was really trying to hold accountable, especially in the last few years. And then Secretary DeVos came in and really tried to dismantle that piece by piece. So I, I think Dr. Cardona is going to have quite a job ahead of him of just trying to reinstate some of the accountability measures and make sure that it addresses some of the shortcomings that advocates say were part of the Obama administration. Not all of those measures were considered strong enough to prevent uh, some of the closures we saw with ITT Tech and others, but it's it's going to be moving just beyond restoring what already was mm -hmm. to being more bold and and willing to address equity concerns that existed before COVID uh, throughout high, higher education as well as K-12. You're hearing Danielle Douglas-Gabriel. She's a reporter for The Washington Post as we talk about the Education Department. Uh, again, uh, our commissioner in Connecticut, Dr. Miguel Cardona, is President Biden's pick for U.S. Education Secretary. Uh, his nomination is still needing to be confirmed by uh, the U.S. Senate. When we talked about uh, no-cost community college, it was something that Dr. Cardona said would be a priority for him. But also a challenge when we think about uh, the, the the enrollment being down, not only in our state in Connecticut, but across the country, uh, the fact that they've been hard hit, the community college system. How could this be possible moving forward? Uh, is it possible to get more resources from federal government when so many other uh, factions are looking for support as well? It's going to be a challenge. It, it really will be. But I do feel like there is bipartisan support for providing more resources to this particular segment of higher education. Community colleges tend to educate um, some of the neediest populations. They also tend to educate a lot of working adults and folks for whom the virus and the pandemic have really hit them the hardest. And, and I think that's why you're seeing such a dramatic decline in enrollment because of the economic consequences, as well as some of the health concerns with uh, federal support uh, through tuition-free college uh, and certainly potentially the doubling of the Pell Grant, which is for the neediest college students, that would kind of address some of the financial concerns that a lot of the population that attends community colleges uh, are facing right now. So it could go a long way. Uh, I think we, we have a better chance of seeing bipartisan congressional support for some of that rather than perhaps student debt forgiveness. That's good to know. You're hearing again uh, Danielle Douglas-Gabriel, who writes for The Washington Post. Do you think that Dr. Cardona was a safe pick for the Biden administration? Um, I don't know. That's debatable. But I, I think that he has a stronger chance of garnering bipartisan support than some of the names that were thrown out earlier on who were either heads of un teachers unions or former heads of teachers unions. That seemed to be a far more politicized choice than someone like Dr. Cardona. So I think he certainly stands a better chance of uh, um, having his nomination go through than maybe some of the, the other folks who were in contention. 
before Betsy DeVos, uh, would you say that uh, most Americans, other than teachers, uh, were focused on the education department, how it's been so politicized? No, I mean, it's honestly, it used to be like a sleepy department that no one really paid very much attention to, it seemed, other than folks who were in education and maybe some policy wonks. But DeVos certainly uh, politicized the department in ways that raised its um, its 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 visibility. Uh, and it, it's interesting. So as much as that was was not the best course by creating all of this kind of very adversarial role with public educators. I do hope that as the, the visibility of the education department has increased, that that will also kind of um, raise the significance of education overall as a federal policy. You know, as Dr. Cardona said, for, for K-12, a lot of money, a lot of the control is at the state and local level, but the federal government does play a role in trying to set policy and agendas and guidance. And I think that's going to be especially important in the coming years if we're trying to undo the uh, erosion of, of, of equity that we're seeing throughout education. So it'll be it'll be something to watch. And I'm hope, hoping that the American public will continue to pay attention to this very important agency and the very important role that education plays in our economy. We've been focused on higher education in my conversation with Danielle Douglas Gabriel. But after the break, I want to get her take on what Dr. Cardona shared in relation to K through 12, especially during the pandemic. You can join us too. find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up tomorrow, the pandemic has made managing just about every aspect of our lives harder, whether it's relationships, jobs, or just our schedules in general. It's also made managing addiction and recovery more difficult. Tomorrow, we talk about the challenges of navigating recovery in the pandemic, and we hope you join us. Now, right now, my guest is Danielle Douglas-Gabriel, who covers education for The Washington Post. Earlier, we heard from Dr. Miguel Cardona, our state education commissioner, President Biden's pick for U.S. Education Secretary. The U.S. Senate must still approve his nomination. Uh, Danielle, uh, Dr. Cardona talked a lot about how students are resilient. And when I asked him about um, the impact on on students uh, not being in school, but also this idea that President Biden wants to see most schools open within the first 100 days. This sounds like a pretty optimistic goal, but Talk about some of the challenges ahead when we think about how we're talking about very different states with different strategies on what's best for their students. Certainly, you've seen the states where there's consistent adherence to um, health guidance about the pandemic have some of the best results in reopening their schools. Places where mandated mask wearing in schools all those sorts of very simple measures and keeping it somewhat of a distance, uh, keeping students at a distance have gone well. But as you and I both know, that's not consistent across the country. I mean, if you think about, I think one of the counties in Georgia early on, they opened schools at full capacity. And um, within two weeks, there were 1,200 students uh, in quarantine. And as the progress, as the semester progressed on, there were, they had to actually close because they ran out of teachers. There were so many teachers who 
fell ill or had to be quarantined that they couldn't keep the school open. And that's actually been the case for several states. Teacher shortages have forced schools to go remote or to close temporarily because there isn't a consistent policy on how to keep them and students safe. You know, one one of the things that I think a lot of school districts will welcome is having a national strategy. That was not a thing until <laughs> recently. There wasn't federal guidance about how best to reopen schools other than what the CDC was providing, but it wasn't consistent through all of the agencies in the federal government where you need to see that. So with some consistency, you know, hopefully that'll help to mitigate some of these concerns. But again, it's it's going to take uh, local school districts uh, to enforce the health precautions that are needed in order to keep everyone safe. Yeah, we know that the uh, vaccinations that are out, there's definitely more demand than supply. Would it be an easier thing to ask teachers around our country, Danielle, if we knew that every teacher could get a vaccination today if they wanted one? Certainly, I've seen that in states where teachers have been made a priority in getting vaccinated, uh, there is more um, there's more optimism about coming back into a safe environment. Places where they have not been within the first few groups to get vaccinated, there is still reluctance and with good reason. There have been teachers who have died from this virus. There have been teachers who have come close to death from this virus. Their concerns are very real. Certainly, you know, the the question about um, transmission within the schools is one thing, but certainly within the communities, that's that's a very real concern. So I, I get the sense that as the Biden administration moves forward, there has there may need to be some kind of federal directive encouraging states to ensure that teachers are among the first to get vaccinated. It's a good point about the patchwork system, because we know uh, President Trump and former Secretary DeVos, they wanted to see schools open as well. But there wasn't guidance, as you mentioned, or the additional money uh, to help uh, schools uh, with the resources they feel they need on the ground uh, to open safely, to have adequate staff, to have adequate testing. Uh, When uh, near the end of the interview, I asked Dr. Cardona about uh, morale within the Department of Education. This is is something you know a lot about covering higher education and the education department for years. Talk about uh, what the department looks like now and what will be in front of Dr. Cardona if confirmed. There was a fair amount of exodus from the department um, for amid some career staffers. And uh, I think they're just the overall morale was down. Uh, the prior secretary former secretary took a very adversarial role with some of the career staff uh, and it, it created tension that didn't necessarily need to be there in the sense that career staff supposed to be kind of the institutional, the holder of institutional knowledge. And when you start to see them leave in, in mass waves, that is always a little threatening to the ability to continue on with just the day-to-day mundane things that the department might do. Luckily, there are still a lot of people there who are very committed to their job and who are still ensuring that students are getting what they need or trying their best to do so. So it's not going to be impossible to stand up a department that is fully functioning. They are still functioning. It's just it would be a, a 
a great uh, addition to have someone there who respects what they do and willing to bring on more people who are professionals and who know what they're doing and not just a friend of someone here and there because <laughs> that happens on, on occasion. And uh, so I think a lot of the people that I speak to who are at the department are really looking forward to bringing back a level of professionalism, competency and respect for what they do. And lastly, Danielle, how significant do you think it is that Dr. Cardona, uh, he was an English language learner, to have someone uh, from that background at the top level of this education department? I'm hoping it's going to be very significant. I, I feel that uh, our experiences tend to shape how we see and understand other people's uh, experience within education. And uh, I am very hopeful that Dr. Cardona's experience, not only as a English uh, language learner, but also as someone who came from a household that was lower income and understands the challenges that students uh, at all stages of their education face in trying to uh, excel and and be ensure that their ambitions are, are brought to fruition. I hope that that understanding from his own personal story will translate into support for policies that provide that to other students because this pandemic uh, has certainly exacerbated inequities that existed, but we have to move beyond just talking about that to actually instituting policies that can try to address it. Danielle Douglas Gabriel's reporter for The Washington Post. Danielle, always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Learn more about the show. Download where we live on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.